Awesome. Well, happy Daylight Saving Sunday or whatever we call today. I hope you used your hour well. Uh, my, our four-year-old uh, was so excited about Daylight Savings Time. He got up even earlier than normal just to make the most of it and hope you did uh, as well. It's awesome to get to be with you. Today is a really special Sunday for us as a church family. You guys know that this year we have been on a journey of growing in our heart and love for the people of our city, of being a church for the city. And one of the things that we wanted to come together this year to do, uh, really to express that heart of love for the city, was to plant a new church, a new place for people to encounter Jesus uh, in. And so uh, this Sunday, uh, November the 7th, we've sent out, uh, we sent them out a couple months ago, Antioch Lake Cities, but this is their first public service across the town, over there by the lake, uh, the Garland, Rockwall, Rowlett, those areas. So they are opening up right now, uh, first time open to the public, inviting people in. And I want to take just a moment to A, celebrate and B, for us to pray as they're going into this new deal. Uh, we've sent out our own, uh, we've sent out many from our church. Uh, so we've sent them there and we want to pray that God would work powerfully through them today. Because, you know, every Sunday is somebody's first Sunday in church. And God does remarkable things in people's lives when they get in transformational environment of his presence, his word, his people, and his power. So would you bow your heads with me for just a moment and join with me in prayer. Jesus, we're so thankful for the West family. Uh, we're thankful for their whole team. Uh, many of us who have gone out that you've called to be a part of this new church plant. We're praying right now, Lord, as their doors are open and they're trying to love and serve people and lift your name up, we're asking that you would fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would fill the place that they're meeting with your presence, Lord. God, we're asking that today that people would hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we're asking that lives would be transformed, that marriages would be restored, that families would be built, uh, that brokenness would find healing. As we sang this morning, Lord, that you would build your church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And through your church, that you would display your splendor to Garland and Rockwall and Rowlett uh, and Saxe and Lord, to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name, amen, amen, amen. Well, I love that. I'm excited to hear the good news. Uh, so if you notice a few empty seats around you, it's because many people have gone out to plant that church, which we're excited about. But this is also a time for us as a church to draw near to one another, to get to know some new people, maybe some new faces. And we wanna be a part of reaching new people as well. And so we're gonna be focused on that. But today... We are starting a new teaching series, which I am excited about. The title of this series is called Good With Money. Uh, last week, we wrapped up our study of Hebrews. We spent nine weeks in the book of Hebrews uh, learning about developing resilience in Christ so that we could stay faithful to Jesus in the midst of the trials and temptations that we face. We're going to shift gears, and for the month of November, we're going to be focusing on being good with money. Why? Because every single one of us wants to be good with money. Money is everywhere. It's a part of all of our lives in so many ways. And a common desire that we have is to be good with money. But on whose terms and how, those are complicated and complex questions that can bring a lot of stress to our lives. But I believe and we believe that God wants to speak to us 
that God wants to teach us, that God wants to strengthen us and help us to understand the way of Jesus more clearly when it comes to our finances. We believe that God has a rich and full life for all of us to grow into. Jesus himself said that he came, that we might experience abundant life, that we might experience full life found in him. And that's a part of our finances. That's a part of our financial journey. So we're gonna be learning how to be good with money. How are we gonna do this? Well, over the next three weeks, we're gonna be studying one of the most nutrient-dense passages in all of the Bible on the way of Jesus and money. And we're gonna spend three weeks going through it, uh, and then that's gonna help get the truth in our heads. So everybody put your hand on your head. Hands on heads. We're gonna try and get the truth of God's word in our heads to transform the way that we think. You can put your hands down now, okay? <laughs> Second part of this experience, though, is we need more than just truth in our heads. We need our hearts to change as well, to line up with the things that Jesus loves and the way that Jesus would lead us. And so we're going to begin to do a shared offering prayer, a shared giving liturgy that I'm going to introduce to you today. And we're going to do it each week of this series and then on into the new year to help the truth of God's word as it comes to money sink deep in our hearts. So you had your hands on your head, now put your hand on your heart because we're gonna share that prayer together, right? Because we need the truth in our hearts to change the way that we feel because sometimes we have all sorts of crazy emotions about money or maybe I'm the only one, but we can have lots of feelings about money and we need the healing power of God's word to touch our hearts. And then three, in the new year, early spring, we're gonna do a workshop on the practicals of how to take these truths that hopefully by then have filled their heads and changed their hearts. How do we work those out in our practical lives? How do we do this in real life, in real situations? And we've got various ones of you in our church who are strong in the area of Jesus and finances are gonna lead a workshop to help anyone who would like a little more practical help becoming good with money in the way of Jesus. So we're gonna let the truth fill our heads through the prayer. We're gonna let the truths touch our hearts and then in the spring, we're gonna do a workshop so those truths get worked out in our hands in the way that we live and the decisions that we make. I am hopeful that as a part of this learning experience, this teaching series, this prayer, and this workshop, that three things would happen in our church. The first one is that we would grow as individuals and as a community in our revelation of God as our good provider that our understanding of who God is and the way in which he provides, that that would become stronger in our lives, more clear, that it would move us more deeply. Second thing that I'm hopeful for is that we as a church would grow in the stewardship of the resources that God has entrusted to us, that we would know him as our provider, as a good provider, and that we would become good stewards. We would grow as stewards of our resources and three, out of that place of stewardship, that we would grow in good works. That we would grow with the money that God has entrusted to us, that we would use it more and more for his purposes and the good works that it could unlock. So when we know God is a good provider, we wanna grow as good stewards, and we wanna unlock good works through this teaching series as we become good with money. So with that as an introduction, I want you to open your Bibles to 1 Timothy, that's where we're going to be, 1 Timothy chapter 6. 
First Timothy chapter six. You're gonna need to take out your Bible this morning. You may got a little extra sleep, maybe a little more drowsy than normal. That's okay. Take out your Bibles. We're gonna be in First Timothy chapter six. That's gonna be the theme of this teaching series. We're gonna be in this passage of scripture each of the next three weeks. And today, what we're focused on is that idea, that truth, that revelation that God is a good provider. When we start talking about the way of Jesus and money and how does that look in the life of a disciple, it starts with knowing that God provides for us richly, that God is a good provider. Every disciple of Jesus should learn that God is a good provider. This is the big idea of today. So if you're taking notes right beside your passage, 1 Timothy 6, you want to write this down. Every disciple, every disciple of Jesus, this is discipleship 101, foundational level, that we need to know that God is a good provider. The revelation of God as our good provider fuels us to live a life of gratitude over greed. Everybody say gratitude over greed. It fuels us to live a life of faith over fear. So say faith over fear, and humility over haughtiness. What's haughtiness? It's pride. When we know God is our good provider, it fuels us to live a life of humility over haughtiness, and it brings a purpose to our finances that's bigger than the size of our paychecks or our portfolios. So as we come to understand and not just kind of grasp, but carry it deep within us, this is something that we know, that we know, that we know in our bones, that God is a good provider. The life that that fuels for us is that we can live a life of gratitude over greed. We can live a life of, um, <clears throat> excuse me, faith over fear. We can live a life of humility over haughtiness. And when we think about our finances, we can realize our money has a purpose beyond our paychecks and our portfolios. And so we can live a life fueled with purpose. That's how important this is. So 1 Timothy chapter six, starting in verse three, and we're gonna go through verse 19. I love God's word. I love going through God's word with you guys. And here we are, 1 Timothy chapter six, starting in verse three. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not agree to the sound instruction of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to godly teaching, they are conceited and understand nothing. Paul, who wrote 1 Timothy, is coming in hot right here. Uh, they have an unhealthy interest in controversies and quarrels about words that result in envy, strife, malicious talk, evil suspicions, and constant friction between people of corrupt mind, who, get this, who have been robbed of the truth and who think that godliness is a means to financial gain. So Paul is coming in and he's criticizing these false teachers that have infiltrated the church. And one of the things, one of the marks that he says of them is that they believe that godliness is a means to financial gain. But he responds, but godliness with contentment, verse six, is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. Those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and to many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and have pierced themselves with many griefs. But you, man of God, 
Flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the sight of God, who gives life to everything, and of Christ Jesus, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession. I charge you to keep the command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honor and might forever. Amen. Verse 17, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. What a powerful section of scripture. There's so much here. And for the next three weeks, we're gonna be just studying these simple passages on the way of Jesus and money. As we get started today and we get started in the first part of knowing God as our good provider, I wanna give you a little background, a little context on scripture, on what's being said here to help us all really understand what Paul is speaking to them and what the Holy Spirit wants to speak through Paul to Timothy and what the Holy Spirit wants to speak to you and to me today as we come to God's word. Uh, This letter, 1 Timothy, was written to a leader in the early church named Timothy who was a protege of the apostle Paul. Timothy was charged with going to provide some leadership to the church at Ephesus, and Paul wrote this letter to Timothy to equip him, to inform him, to guide him, to help him get ready for the challenges that he was going to face in stepping into helping this church and some of the challenges that the church and the members of that church were facing. Paul planted the church at Ephesus, or the Lord worked through Paul to plant the church at Ephesus. Uh, We read about that in the book of Acts. And Paul loved this church. In fact, we see that he spent three consistent, solid years at the church teaching them about the way of Jesus. And God was working powerfully through this church. Through this church, the gospel spread to the whole region. Paul had a deep love for these people. About a decade later, Paul, now in itinerant ministry, writes a letter, the letter of Ephesians, to the church at Ephesus. A decade later, he's still involved relationally in their lives. He's still investing in them. He's encouraging them. He's speaking truth to them. We went through Ephesians as a church this spring. We spent the entire spring going through and learning from the book of Ephesians. Now, a few years later, Paul, in a Roman prison, is still concerned, still has a heart for the church at Ephesus. So he decides to send his protege, Timothy, to help the church, to guide the church. And this letter is Paul's letter to Timothy to equip Timothy for the leadership assignment that he had in front of them. And what Paul was seeing were some specific areas that were threatening to choke out the life and the work of Jesus in this powerful 
church. He identifies five areas that were like spiritual diseases that were threatening the church. And at one level from the outside, the church looked like it was firing on all cylinders. But Paul, who knew them deeply and cared for them deeply, saw some things going on, some issues that were really important to address that threatened to sabotage and shipwreck the whole thing, the work of God in their lives. And he highlights those for Timothy. Those five things that set the tone for the text that we're reading. One, 1 Timothy, Paul writes about the theology of the church. He's concerned about some of their theological beliefs and beliefs that are infiltrating and infecting the church. Two, he writes about their worship services. Three, what good leaders look like. Four, the church's responsibility to the poor and the vulnerable. And five, the church's vision to be good for money. Now, as we sit here today and we hear that, we're like, yeah, I understand the theology of a church is important. I understand worship services are important. You're here at one or you're worshiping with us online. You got that. I understand the leaders of the church are important and having quality leaders. I understand the church caring for the poor and the vulnerable. That's really important. I don't know if we would put the way uh, people within the church and the church handles their finances on the top five list, but for Paul, it's on there. Now, you might ask the question, why? Why is this, if you got five issues to pass on to your protege for a church you deeply care about, why is finances one of them? Does Paul need some, uh, you know, a bigger paycheck? No. Uh, do they need a nicer building? No. Uh, what, what's going on? Is their budget down? No. Paul is writing this to them because the Lord Jesus taught his disciples that the way that we handle our finances, the way that we relate to money, was one of Jesus's big issues with his disciples. The Lord Jesus said, hey, if you want to be my disciple, the way that you handle money, your relationship with money, is one of those things that has power in your life, to hinder you and to choke out the work of the Lord, or it becomes a way in which you display God's splendor and experience his life. In Mark chapter four, Jesus listed the deceitfulness of riches as one of a handful of things that could choke out the work of the Lord in someone's life. Wow, it made Jesus's big five list. So Paul is echoing Jesus saying this is important to Jesus, and this is important to these early Ephesian believers. And church, if this made Jesus's big list of things to watch out for as a disciple, it probably should be on our big list as well, of things that we need to pay attention to. The second reason why I believe that Paul is focusing in on this is yes, it's a general issue for all of discipleship. Disciples everywhere, your finances matter. But for the church at Ephesus, there were some specific things that were going on that I believe made it even more pressing for them. The city of Ephesus was located in the province of Asia in the Roman Empire, and they were a wealthy, affluent city. They had fertile soil, they had a port to the Mediterranean Ocean that they could go to and from and trade there so they could grow good crops. They could trade them. They were located on the silk trade route all the way into China. And so they were a place of trade, of commerce, of money. They were a wealthy city. It was a city of commerce. And they were a religious city. 
Uh, Roman theology, of which Ephesus was a city under the Roman Empire, the Romans had some interesting beliefs about the gods and goddesses that I believe played a part in why Paul is writing to them. The Romans and the Greeks believed that gods didn't create the universe, but that the universe created gods and goddesses. And contrary to what you and I might think about when we start talking about God, for Romans, gods and goddesses weren't moral examples of this is the way you should live. They were actually fickle and moody uh, characters with great power, but also great flaws. And so one of the gods, Artemis, was the god of fertility. And in Ephesus, they had a legendary temple to this goddess, Artemis, the goddess of fertility. Now get this, their temple was so significant, it took 100 years to build. And if any of you have been to uh, American Airlines Arena to watch a Mavericks game, and you think about how many people were there, this temple 2,000 years ago could hold the same amount of people as the American Airlines Arena can today. That's crazy. 20-some-odd thousand people, a 100-year-old temple, all devoted to the goddess Artemis. Now, these goddesses they were and gods were fickle and moody, but they were very involved in human life. That's what the Romans believed. That's what the Ephesians believed. So if you had good circumstances in your life, the favor of the gods was on you. And if something went wrong, right, one of the gods was mad at you. You had done something to tick a god or goddess off. You needed to figure out what it was and make it right. So the gods and goddesses didn't necessarily care about you. They weren't moral examples. Uh, but what they did like was they did like money. They did like honor. And so you could go to the temple and you could make an offering of some sort, a financial contribution of some sort. And if you did that, the belief was you make the vow, you say, okay, Artemis, I'm gonna bring you this money, and if I do this, I, I wanna make a deal with you that my crop will be good this year, uh, that I'll have a kid this year, that I'll do well in business, or whatever it may be, right? You could manipulate the gods and goddesses through your offerings. And so in this commercial city where money was really important and this incredibly significant temple that was one of the ancient wonders of the world, people came from far and wide to pay their homage and respect and offerings to Artemis so that she would bless them and that they would be fertile and fruitful in their families and in their finances. In fact, leaders that you probably have heard of from your classes in history like Xerxes, Julius Caesar, Augustus Caesar, and Alexander the Great all brought money and stored it there in the temple because they wanted the favor of Artemis. So much money was flowing through this temple that it became known as the Bank of Asia. So think about this. As I was reading and studying and preparing, I was like, wow, a city marked by money and religion. Religion and money, and it's all intertwined. I was like, that sounds like a city that we and our church know and love. Not a city from 2,000 years ago, but a city that you and I live in every day. I think it'd be easy to see, wow, I think Dallas has a lot of similarities to ancient Ephesus, right? And so the believers in the Ephesian church grew up in an environment that was marked by religion and money, that was marked by the worship of Artemis and the money that was surrounding that. So as they begin to follow Jesus, it's understandable 
that some of their views that they grew up with, some of their image of God, that they might be importing some old beliefs about Artemis, importing it into their current understanding of who God is and what the way of Jesus entailed. Can we put that picture of Artemis up on the screen? So this is Artemis. Uh, This was the statue that they believed was Artemis. Uh, Those bumps uh, along her chest, you fill in the blank, she's the goddess of fertility. So those were signs and symbols of fertility, right? And that's what you would go and that's what you would worship, right? And so this is what they grew up with. This is what shaped them and their understanding of who God was. And they begin to follow Jesus, right? And it seems from Paul's letter uh, that there's some things that they're importing in from the worship of Artemis, what was familiar to them, their image of God, they're importing it in to the way of Jesus. And they're assuming that Jesus is like Artemis. But Jesus is very, very different than Artemis. I was thinking about this, and I wanna tell you a few things that I just observed about Artemis. Uh, Artemis was fickle and moody. So it's easy to think that they would have imported a view consciously or subconsciously, yeah, maybe, maybe Jesus is fickle and moody too. And maybe when there are good things in my life that he's happy with me, and maybe when there are bad things in my life, I've done something to make him mad. It'd be easy to understand why they might, based on their background, bring that into their new faith, right? We can see that. Um, Artemis could be appeased at times or controlled through the giving of their finances in return for special blessings. So it's easy to think they could have assumed the same thing about Jesus. That, oh, I understand how this works with the gods. You pay them a certain offering and then they do things for you. That's how life works. It's easy to understand why they could have believed that. Artemis' supposed favor was shown through financial prosperity. So being devoted to her was a supposed pathway to financial riches. So it's easy to see how they could assume the same thing about Jesus. And these type of views about God, they die hard. The impact of the religious environment of the city and the materialistic impulses of Ephesus seem like they're being imported into the church and imported into the lives of the believers. And Paul's seeing that. And he knows how important this issue is in general, but how important this issue is in specific to them. Now, I talked about how Dallas seems like it could be very similar to Ephesus in our mindset and what's going on. But as I read this, I was struck by how often and how many times that we in our religious city might be importing some beliefs into following Jesus. We might be importing some ways of thinking about God. In fact, they may even be taught in some churches, but they don't line up with the truth and the beauty and the goodness that we see in Jesus. Has anybody ever had a thought when you start thinking about God that you realize, you know what? Maybe that actually doesn't line up with who God is. If you haven't, you've probably made God in your own image rather than in the image of Jesus. Right, but as followers of Jesus, we believe that when you see Jesus, you see what God is like. And so for you and me, we're on a constant journey of replacing old beliefs that do not line up with who we see God as in Jesus. 
and we're being transformed in our minds. And our finances and the way that we think about financing God is one of those areas where we need God's transformation. So I find that rather uh, than thinking, wow, these people, they're so foolish long ago, I'm like, wow, these people, we might be very, very close uh, to us. We might understand what they're going through. We are a city of money and religion, religion and money, and if we were able to dig under the hood of our lives and see what's really going on, how many of us consciously or unconsciously carry some of these same views about Jesus? We're not gonna say, yeah, I grew up worshiping Artemis. That's probably not been what's influenced us, but how many of us have ever had the thought, right, that God is moody or fickle at times? Now, we're in church, guys, y'all can't lie. Sometimes when you read scripture, it's like, I don't even understand what's going on here. And we can take that, and when it comes to finances, we can think, hey, if there are good things in my life, God's favor is on me. And if I'm going through hard things, have I done something to make God mad? How many have ever had that thought? Let's just, let's just be honest right here, right? Uh, okay, here's another one. Right, with Artemis, okay, she doesn't really care about me, but I can offer the right offering, and if I do that, she'll bless me. How many have ever been in a church where some of those same ideas have been communicated? That if I, I give the right offering, right, I'll get the right blessing. You can keep your hand down if you want to, because I said it's close to home, right? Okay, how many of us have ever thought, okay, well, maybe if I do the right thing, I can get God to do what I want him to do for me, right? We've had those thoughts. So I think this is very relevant to us and very relatable to, I see some things that maybe they were thinking, and as we read these passages of scripture, Paul is dealing with very specific mindsets that they would have been normal to them, been imported into their faith in Christ, and he's trying to clarify the way of Jesus for them. As we go through God's word, I believe God wants to clarify for us the way of Jesus for us. So today we're focusing on God as a good provider, and we see that in verse 17. So if we can put that passage up, 1 Timothy 6, 17. Over the next couple of weeks, we're gonna go through this uh, chunk of scripture, but I wanna focus in on one phrase and one verse in this passage today, and that is God is a good provider, or God richly provides. And if you're taking notes, you wanna highlight verse 17, and you wanna write, God is a good provider, or God richly provides. Now, I love to read the Bible in different translations, and sometimes when you read it in a new translation, something new stands out to you. So I have been kind of nerding out on this verse all week of just letting it impact me, and I wanna go through a few different translations with you. In the Amplified translation, it says this for verse 17. As for the rich in this world, Charge them not to be proud and arrogant and contemptuous of others, nor to set their hopes on uncertain riches, but on God, who richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God richly and ceaselessly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. This is the God that we see in Jesus. In the Phillips translation, it says this, <clears throat> Tell those who are rich in this present world not to be contemptuous of others and not to rest the weight of their confidence on the transitory power of wealth, 
but on the living God who generously gives us everything for our enjoyment. The living Bible. Tell those who are rich not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which will soon be gone. But their pride and their trust should be in the living God who always richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. And the Woost translation, that's a fun name. Woost, just say it with me. Woost. To those who are wealthy in this present age, be giving a charge not to continue to be high-minded, neither to have their hopes set upon the uncertainty of wealth, but upon God, the one who is constantly offering us all things in a rich manner to enjoy. My spirit starts to get fired up as I go through those, thinking about the richness of God's provision as expressed in this passage. And you might wonder, is this just an isolated kind of, you cherry-picked a verse to highlight this? No, this is a revelation of God that runs throughout Scripture. When we see God creating the world, he creates Adam and Eve, and he provides the world for Adam and Eve, and he provides Adam and Eve for the world. And the world is hardwired for everything that Adam and Eve would need to live a prosperous and abundant life. God provides for them. We see God provided Adam for Eve and Eve for Adam that God provides for us relationally. When God uh, calls Abraham, he says, Abraham, I want you to sacrifice your son, Isaac. Abraham's thinking, okay, you're just like the other gods where I bring the sacrifice. Child sacrifice in their day was somewhat normalized. So he's like, okay, that's what we're gonna do. They get up there and what does God say? No, 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 you don't understand. I gotta teach you something here. This is not about the sacrifice that you bring. This is about the sacrifice that I'm bringing. God provides the sacrifice of the ram. We'll continue on. When God brings the people, his people, out of slavery in Egypt, they go through the wilderness, and what does God do? God provides manna from heaven, day by day, supernaturally provides for them. And as they enter the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, guess what? God brings them into a good land where the provision is not going to be supernatural, but natural, but it's his provision nonetheless. God is a provider. When Jesus comes onto the scene in the incarnation, we see God clearly, and Jesus himself frames the incarnation, his arrival, his ministry, his life in the terms of God's provision. John three sixteen. for God so loved the world that he gave or he provided his only son that through him, you and I wouldn't be condemned, but that we would be saved for all who believe. Jesus came as a reflection of God's provision. Jesus' death on the cross was understood by his followers as an anchor point of the good and generous, rich provision of God. Romans chapter 8, verse 32. He who did not spare his own son, speaking of God, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So this idea of God being a good and generous, rich provider is not found in one short passage in 1 Timothy that the pastor on a Sunday highlighted because he wanted to talk about money. No, 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 no. This theme runs throughout Scripture. And when we look in the face of Jesus, what we see is we see a God who richly provides for us. And I am jealous today for you to leave here with a deeper revelation of God's generous provision in Jesus for us and in all the ways that he provides for us in our everyday lives. 
This is what Paul wants to reiterate to Timothy and wants Timothy to reiterate to the church. And if we miss this revelation, we miss the foundation of what it means to be good with money as disciples of Jesus. And I know we have many seasoned saints in the church who you carry this revelation strong. And I know we have others who are new, and this is something new that needs to be grasped. But what I've found is whether this is new and you're kind of learning and you're like, okay, I'm at the beginning of this experience, or this is something that you have experienced, much like the foundations of our homes, sometimes they need to be laid, and sometimes they need to be tended to. And I find for seasoned saints and new followers alike, this is one of those foundations that needs to consistently be tended to and be reminded of and be invested in that God richly provides for you and for me. Whereas Artemis was a fickle provider, I'm gonna roll up my sleeves, I'm just starting to preach now. I decided to use my extra hour to preach to y'all, so it's just gonna go a little longer today. I'm just kidding, uh, kind of. <clears throat> Whereas Artemis was a fickle provider in the face of Jesus, what they encountered was a God who was rich and consistent in his provision. Then when they looked to him, it was like, oh, Jesus, you're not like Artemis. You're not like the gods that I have imagined. You're not like the image of God that I have created. When I look in your face, what do I see? A God who is rich and consistent in provision. Whereas Artemis was uncaring and needed to be manipulated to provide for you. In the face of Jesus, you encounter a God who loves you. And who does not need to be manipulated to care about you, but he cares about you so much that he came for you and wants to provide for you. Somebody, we're, man, this is worship service right here. Whew. How often, though we would not say it, how often can we have a Roman goddess theology with a Christian veneer of our finances that melts under the weight and the truth and the beauty of the crucified Lord who richly provides for you and for me. So as we grasp this revelation, as it gets in our minds today, and we're gonna pray this prayer in just a moment to let it go deep in our hearts, what happens in our lives? Number one, look in verse 17. As we grasp this, as we understand God's rich provision, he identifies that this revelation provides for you a life that is full of humility instead of haughtiness. If you don't understand that God is your good provider, you're gonna think that everything you have is because of what you've done and that you're a self-made person, right? That's gonna lead to pride. You're gonna look at everyone else as like you're below me or you're above me and you're evaluating other people all the time, right? But when we realize that Jesus has richly provided for us and we begin to see the things of our life through the lens of the cross, through the lens of God has provided. What does that mean? It means I'm humble because, oh my gosh, God, you've provided for me in so many ways. And humility is the oxygen of the Christian life, right? There's no growth in Christ without humility. And if we miss this, right, we're gonna live haughty and prideful when it comes to our finances. And that's gonna choke out the work of grace that God wants to do in our lives. He says, look at this, he says, don't put your hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but put your hope in God. If our hope is in wealth and the uncertainty of the stock market or the cryptocurrency exchange or the real estate market or whatever it may be, if it's just up and down and up and down, the uncertainty of that, it's gonna fuel fear 
in our lives. When we think about the future, it's like, oh, what's going to happen? What's this going to do? What's this? What's going to happen? Right? And we're going to live with a sense of fear, man, that we just got to work really hard to take care because we don't know what the future holds. That's what happens when you put your hope in uncertainty of riches. But when we see the God who richly provides in Jesus, we have the opportunity not to live based off fear, but based off faith when we look to the future. That markets go up and markets go down, right? But we have a God who generously provides regardless of what the markets do, regardless of what the economy does. We have a God who richly provides. Now, I'm coming for you today because I feel the resistance in the room. These are like, oh, I don't know. But yes, this is true. When you learn that God is a rich provider, this is what it fuels in your life. Humility over haughtiness. Faith for the future instead of fear about the future. We see in verse 17, God richly provides for us with everything for our enjoyment. Everybody say enjoyment. Enjoyment. Who wants joy in life? Yes. How many of you know that God has provided things for you just for you to enjoy? That God wants you to have joy. So if you love coffee, please go this afternoon And get the coffee that you like and enjoy it as an act of worship to the Lord. Like, we need a little more enjoyment of the good things that God has. He's provided for our enjoyment. When we carry this revelation, when we carry a revelation of the uncertainty of provision, it fuels a life of greed. Because I just got to get more. I just got to get more. I can't enjoy what I have because I got to get more because I don't know if the supply is going to run out. But when we realize, wow, God, you richly provide and you provide for my joy? What do we teach kids when someone gives a gift to them? Thank you, right? When we realize that God provides for us for our joy, it fuels us to live a life not owned by greed, but marked by gratitude. The greed cannot be the driving force of our life, but we can live a thankful life. All of these things, humility, faith, Gratitude, they're marks of the way of Jesus. And they start with us realizing that God is a good provider. He richly provides for us. And then the last thing that I wanna point out in verse 18, when we realize that God richly provides for us, we begin to see purpose with our finances. Because when someone gives you a gift, when someone entrusts you with a resource, right, there's a purpose attached to it. And what we see in verse 18 is that they're commanded to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. So God has provided them with things for their joy, but their joy is to extend beyond their lives, that there is a purpose to the resources that they've been given. And Timothy's not to be bashful about this. It says command them, right, that they are to steward. There's purpose attached to their finances. So when we realize uh, that that God is a rich provider, our life focus is not on the size of our paycheck and our portfolio, but we begin to have a purpose to our finances. Our paycheck has a purpose. Our portfolio has a purpose. There's a purpose to our money. We can live with purpose instead of just chasing the size of a bank account. Mm. So here's what we're going to do, guys. Uh, We need this in our heads. Hopefully today, you've gotten this. Hopefully today, you're like, okay, I took some notes. I've got some truth that I can fill my mind with. 
that God is a rich provider, that when we realize and carry the weight of the revelation of his provision, that it fuels us to live a life of humility over haughtiness. It fuels us to live a life of gratitude instead of greed, of faith instead of fear, of purpose instead of just focusing on amassing stuff, right? But we need this to go deeper than just some things that we know and have heard. It's like, okay, I got that. We need it to go into our hearts. So we're gonna say a shared prayer together today, but this is gonna be a part of the way that we do the offering moment in our church moving forward because we need these truths to feed our hearts as a community. So I wanna invite you to stand up. This is gonna be on the screen, and you'll see that this prayer from today and then over the next two weeks is built on this passage and things that we want to let sink deep within us and shape who we are. So uh, we'll just go through it right now. So we'll read it together. Heavenly Father, you are a good and generous beyond measure. Thank you for all the ways you have abundantly provided for us. Were we to count them, we would need more than a lifetime. As we practice the way of Jesus in our giving, we willingly embrace faith for the future growth in our stewardship, and freedom from the deceitfulness of riches. Help us to be sons and daughters who enjoy what we have with full hearts, are generous with our finances, and rich in good works. We give these tithes and offerings as an act of worship, asking you to use them to display your splendor through your church for your glory. So I wanna take these truths in our heads. We wanna let them touch our hearts. We're gonna build on this next week so that we might come through this series and in the future being disciples who are good with money, being disciples of Jesus who know how to handle our money well and enjoy the good things that God has for us, knowing him as our rich provider and understanding the purpose of our resources. I wanna invite our worship team to come find I know a few issues that are more emotionally complex and weighty at times than the issues of money. And we all come to the table with a wide variety of backgrounds and even circumstances that we're going through today. I love our church because there are so many different types of people within our church and so many different backgrounds and experiences. And the Holy Spirit wants to minister to each one of us today and I wanna let this scripture speak to us in such a way that it brings us to a response. That we wouldn't just be hearers of the word, but that we people who do, who respond to God's word. So some of the things that are highlighted in this passage that we went through today, that we're gonna have a ministry time over in just a moment, I just wanna point out to you, and we wanna create space to respond. One of the things that it says in here is that he commands those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant or to put their hope in wealth. So by virtue of the nation in which we live, comparatively to the rest of the world, time, we are a rich people, right? So this is not, oh man, if Jeff Bezos could get this or Elon Musk could get that, man, did, but no, no, this is to you and me, right? And so what I wanna do is I wanna command you. If you, uh, let's make sure I say this the right way. If you uh, have realized that you're arrogant, about your finances 
and that you are not operating in a place of, man, God, you've been so generous to me, but you're operating in a place of pride and arrogance, I wanna call you to repentance today. Based on the word of God, I wanna command you not to be arrogant. And so in just a moment, as the worship team is up here, as the prayer and prophetic team is up here, I wanna give you an opportunity to respond. If you realize you're dealing with pride in the area of finances, and I wanna call you to repent today. I wanna command you, if there's anyone in here, and I imagine if we're all honest, man, this would be us. Uh, anyone who's put your hope in wealth rather than putting your hope in God. That when you think about the future, the size of the bill or the bank account or whatever weighs bigger in your mind than your vision of God's faithful provision in your life. I wanna command you to repent today based on the word of God, and we wanna create time for repentance. If you realize from verse 17 that you've not been enjoying the things that God's given you, I wanna call you to repentance, and then I wanna commission you this afternoon to go out and enjoy some of the good things that God has given you. And if you realize uh, where it says in verse 18, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, to be generous and willing to share. If you realize, if you realize you've been walking in, man, I've not been generous with my finances, I've not been thinking about anybody but myself, I wanna command you to be generous, and I wanna call you to repentance, because the way of Jesus is so much better in the area of finances and in all areas than what Artemis would have told us, what at times our culture can tell us, our background can tell us, that can even be said in the name of religion. I wanna challenge us all to carry a vision of God's rich provision in Jesus and let that impact our finances. So if that's you, you realize you've been prideful about your money, I realize this is strong, but this is what the word says. It says, command them. So I'm commanding you and myself. If you've been prideful about your money, I wanna call you to repentance. If you realize you've been putting your hope in your wealth instead of in God, I wanna call you to repentance today. If you realize you've not been enjoying the good things that God has you, I wanna call you to repentance today. If you realize you've been selfish with your resources, I wanna call you to repentance today. And when we repent, times of refreshing come. God brings healing. The hard word is never the last word. The hard word is a means to the life that Jesus wants for you and for me. So if I can get our prayer and prophetic team to come forward, our staff and overseers be available, we're gonna take time to respond. So I'm gonna pray and then we're gonna respond. Jesus, we love you. Thank you that you have come to free us from the grip of these toxic thoughts that we have in the area of money. You've come to reveal that you are a good provider and that as we get this revelation, Lord, then we can live with humility in the place of haughtiness, God. We can live with faith in the place of fear. We can live with gratitude instead of greed. We can live fueled with purpose instead of just chasing a bigger paycheck or a better portfolio, Lord. Thank you for your grace, God. Help us to know and to learn that you are the one who richly provides all things for our enjoyment. It's the foundation for being good with money, Lord. Help us. I just wanna invite you to come forward as the Lord leads. The worship team is gonna lead us in response.